I flip it, I turn that into a quarter ounce, a quarter ounce into a half ounce. Next thing you know, I'm buying what we call 62, two ounces and six grand. We're not seeing the bigger picture that like, yo, they're building, you know, a federal case. They're building a conspiracy. Like I regret everything. 13 years, you, you almost did 20 years. How could you not regret it? Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I'm doing a video podcast with Chad Mark. Chad wrote a book. He's got he's got an amazing story. Uh, he also has a YouTube channel called Blood on the Wire, Blood on the Razor Wire. Sorry. And uh, why didn't you go with Blood on the uh, Concertino Wire? It didn't. No. No. <laughs> no. You do legal work, but do is it um? Do you also do prison consulting like Dan Wise does, or I do all that? But all you know, that. a lot of stuff that I do is litigation. Oh, okay. Where Dan's really just about trying to mitigate people's uh, sentencing guidelines, right? Like, yeah. I mean, they they you know they give guys advice on what to do when they're going to prison. Maybe they write sentencing memorandums. I'm not sure exactly everything that they do. Prepare you. I mean, those are things that I do. But a lot of stuff that I do is litigation, man. Post conviction motions, compassionate release, clemency, stuff like that. Right. And you were you did what? Did you do 20? 17 years, five months, 21 days. Listen, even when I hear people say, oh, I did nine years, I always think, God, you did nine years. I mean, I did 13. But even when people say nine or something, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, Absolutely. It's, you know, it's insane the, the amount of time they give. You had 40 years. Sentenced to 40 years, yeah. Who who did the uh, – and, and you got – was it um, was it Trump that got you – gave you clemency or what happened? So what happened was – Donald Trump passed what's called the First Step Act, right? Right. And as part of that, he put some sentencing reforms in there. I was sentenced for 10 years for the drugs, five years for the first gun, 25 years for the second. But so that your, your people know what I'm talking about, I got five years for a 12-gauge shotgun, 25 years for a 22 rifle on top of the 10 years for the drugs, and they all had to run wild. And what they did was they passed the First Step Act, and they eliminated that. They said, look, that's not what we meant. We meant when you get arrested, you go to federal prison with a gun, with drugs, you get five years, right? Right. You get out. You didn't learn. This is a recidivist enhancement. So right. now you get the second 25. But what the government was doing for many, many years was they would let you go on, sell drugs, do your thing. And they would just chalk up all these gun charges. Right. They might bust a house. You're in the conspiracy. They don't arrest you, but they're building a case. And they know that they want to get that second 924 C so that they can bang you with that second 25 years. So I got five, 25 and 10 total of 40 years. <clears throat> all right. Well, let's let's. I mean, because, you know, I think you and I could sit here and, you know, fucking bitch and complain about how bad it, how bad the sentencing guidelines are and how outrageous they are. And but but um, basically, I, I wanted to get into your like your story, like how did how you actually ended up in prison and like where you were born. You're in New York now, right? Were you yeah. born in New York? Yeah. You know, I'm, I was born in Rochester, New York. Um, my father was a drug addict at the age of three. My father took off. He shot at me and my mother. We escaped. Shot at us with a shotgun. We escaped. We got away. Um, and pretty much my mom was a single mom for a little while. She ended up meeting another guy. He became my stepfather when I was about 13. He pretty much left the house because there was arguments between me and him. And it was starting to get out of control where I was like, you ain't my dad. Don't tell me what to do type of thing. Right. Um, but today we have a good relationship. You know what I mean? But yeah, my was father. Was your dad around at all? Like, did he come back around? When I was about 13, he ended up coming back around. And that's when I started thinking, you know, I want to be like my dad. My dad was a, he was a drug dealer. He was a drug addict. And eventually he would um overdose and die, man. And I talk about that in my book.
Um, all right. So what happened? When did you start selling drugs or, you know, what happened? I mean, were you, you know, about- were you a, were you a straight A student? Were you a bad kind of kid other than the, you know, other than the thing with your stepfather? Like, I mean, what, what kind of happened there? I was really, man, I was the kid in the neighborhood that other kids' parents wanted their, their kids to hang out with me when I was younger. You know, I played baseball. I was a captain of my wrestling team. I was an amateur fighter. I was 121 and 12 as an amateur fighter. Um, my stepfather was, you know, a small-time boxing promoter, um, cut man for George Foreman at one time. He had he was big in the boxing world. I mean, not big like big, big guys, but he was around, you know, some big people. So anyway, when he ended up leaving the house, you know, I ended up meeting – my father and, and me and my stepfather started beefing. That's when the whole boxing, amateur boxing career went out the window. I wanted to hang out in the streets. Um, never used drugs though, Matt. Never. I never even smoked weed before. But we were poor. My mother Ever? became to this day. To this day. Bro, you understand? I've never drank alcohol, never smoked weed, never done any drugs other than Xanax, which was prescribed to me. The first time I drank, I was down there around your way. I went to Panama City Beach, Florida for spring break. I think I was right. 22. Went down there, had a great, one of the best times of my life, me and my two buddies. And that was like the first time I ever drank, man. Um, right. I'm not really a drinker. Don't really, don't. I mean, I have once in a while, but not my thing, man. You know, I was always an athlete, always, you know, I guess to a certain extent doing the right thing. But, you know, I grew up in the inner city, man. I grew up in the hood, I guess you could say, the hood. My mom still lives there. Um, dangerous city. Just killed a cop three days ago here. There's been a murder every day since then. So definitely a dangerous place. Grew up in a dangerous place. Um, And you know what? We were poor. My mom became that single mother. So I wanted to sell drugs. I thought that that was the way out. You know, I had a business mind. Started as a kid. I would mow grass and carry people's groceries to their car. I was a hustler. It was inside of me. And then yeah. I seen bigger and better opportunities that I didn't realize doing this, I'm going to end up in the position that I ended up in. Right. I mean, I can I can see the hus- the whole hustler thing. Every time we talk, you're enthusiastic, energetic, you know, charismatic. So, I mean, I, I can see that as a kid. You were up probably the exact same way. So, so what happened? So, I mean, you you're in after high school. I mean, if you're not doing drugs or anything, are you you're are you selling drugs yet? I mean, is anything at about fourteen, man? That's when I started selling drugs. I had a friend. I talk about him in my book. Um, his uncle was a drug addict, a pimp. His mother was a drug addict. She was a prostitute. And I'm seeing him selling bags out of these little pill bottles, you know, selling bags, dime bags of of cocaine back then. And I'm like, man, I'm trying to make a couple dollars, bro. I'm broke. He's like, man, chill with me, man, is what we're going to do. And and it just took off from there. Um, Eventually, unfortunately for him, he started, you know, getting high himself. You know, at the age of 16, I get arrested for a drug crime, criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree. Then I catch an assault second while I'm out on that. I end up copping out to the assault second, go to state prison. Um, I'm 17, man. I'm in Attica, man, at 17 years old. They and put 17 like, year olds in a with an with the adults? 100 percent They didn't care about that stuff back then. Are you they a big guy? I'm, how 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 tall are you? Um, I'm 5'10. I've always been a big kid. I never got any bigger than 5'10, though, man. Right. So, so you're five. So yeah, I that still seems ridiculous, but anyway. Yeah, they don't care. They put kids in there. I mean, in New York, I mean, same as in Florida. I mean, you got kids out here that are 16, 17, 18 years old killing people. They say oh, yeah, state okay. prison. You're 16, you're going to state prison. They used to have a, go ahead. Sometimes sometimes the um the juvenile prisons are rougher than the you know the real prisons. Like some, you know, these some of these kids are little kids and they're just getting brutalized in there. 
well, you know, we had a prison called Kasaki, right? They would try to send most of the young kids to Kasaki Maximum Security Prison, um, some to Comstock, but there was there was grown men there. They had um, medium security facilities, green in Washington, where they would send young kids, younger dudes. But I mean, dudes do get mixed in. Like I said, I was 17. I was in Wyoming Correctional Facility. And, and the kid that's like my brother, I brought him on my show before. He was my co-defendant. We're in Wyoming together. He gets in a fight with this kid over a basketball magazine. The kid pretty much tells him he's dead on the basketball magazine. And my boy, really, he's putting it on him. Um, but he ends up slipping. When he slips, I grab the kid. And they're like, oh, they jumped him. They jumped him. So they decide to jump us. They stabbed. I got stabbed in the eye right here. Um, almost lost my eye. They take a piece of metal out of the fan. They sharpen it, put a little lanyard on it. It's like an ice pick, right? That's what they called it there. Right. And I seen the kid. The kid had hit me. And I seen him hit. You know, he was coming to stab me. I, I just caught it at the last second. And he ended up stabbing me almost in my eye, man. So we got, you know, we got pretty messed up that night. But we fought back. I mean, we fought like, like animals. Really, he got stabbed in the face like seven, eight times. He ended up going to um, Kasaki from Wyoming Correctional Facility, which is in New York across from Attica. And I went to Attica, man. They didn't care about that stuff, man. At your 17, they throw you right in with the wolves. How much time did you get that on that one? I had a two to six. So what do you do? I'm not sure what that means. I don't okay, so you, It's a split bid. You do two years, you go to the parole board. The parole board can let you out or hit you. The parole board released me. They let me go. I, I went back home. I was home for about a year, caught a violation, went back for another 19 months, got out. I was out for about 14 months, and that's when I caught my federal case. So you're 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 only like what 24, 25? I was 24 years old, man. Caught a federal case, got sentenced to 40 years. What was the federal case? So when I get out, uh, you know, when I get out of state prison on the second time, I get this job at this factory. And I'm like, man, I'm gonna try to make this work. I'm doing this punch press thing, and I'm like, man, this thing ain't gonna work out. I'm messing up the pieces, they fire me. So honestly, Matt, I take my paycheck. This is my story. I take my paycheck. I think I go buy an eight ball of crack and I bag it up. I said, man, I'm not, I'm not working no job. Buy that eight ball of crack. I bag it up. I flip it. I turn that into a quarter ounce, a quarter ounce into a half ounce. Next thing you know, I'm buying what we call 62, two ounces and six grams. Bag up that. And then it's off to the races after that, man. I started, you know, getting some kids from my neighborhood. They were working for me. You know, the government alleges all this stuff. I had yeah. seven or eight crack houses at the time of my arrest. Um, and this is from how far from being getting out of prison on parole? Yeah, I'm on parole. You're on, on parole, maybe sixty days. And you've already got a couple crack ha- houses, crack houses that you're selling crack out of. Well, no, within sixty days, I'm selling crack again, and then probably within another sixty days, about 120 days total. Yeah, I got crack houses all over the city. I don't glamorize that, man. And what I, year is this? This was in 2002. Okay. 2000, end of 2001, 2002. I don't glamorize that stuff, man. You know, I made irrationally responsible choices and no. keeping it real with you. I deeply regret them, man. No, you know, it's, it's funny you say, so it, do you do, I know you do these interviews a lot. I, yeah. I know you've done a few interviews, right? You've, you've been interviewed by some people and you, have you ever get the question? I always get the question, like, do you regret it? And, and I, I've, I, you know how many people I've seen watch their interviews and they say, they're like, well, no, because it made me the man that I am today. And, and bro, like I regret everything. 13 years, you you almost did 20 years. How could you not regret it? I mean, how many? 
the best oh. years of my life, man. I went to prison at 24, lost, you know, more than half of my 20s, all of my 30s, and a couple years on my 40s, man. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, definitely regret that. I wanted to let you guys know that I have a Patreon account. If you're interested in joining the Patreon account, it's got three tiers. The top tier, you actually get a different con man painting every single month. If you're already joined and you're already supporting me, I really appreciate that. If you haven't joined yet and you're interested in joining, I'm going to leave the contact information for Patreon in the description. Thank you very much for watching the video. Do you, um, yeah, do you have any brothers or sisters or... I got a brother, man. He, um, I think I mentioned it. It's in my book too. My brother killed himself, shot himself in the head with a 12 gauge shotgun. Uh, no, you mentioned that when you interviewed me, I think yeah. we talked about that. Um, and I it was, were you in prison? Well. Huh? Were you in prison at that time? I wasn't. No, I was, I was younger, man. I was 15. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm just, but, um, so no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So what happened with the um? So you've got guys working for you. You've got crack houses. You've got are you making decent money? Are the cops closing in? Are people getting busted? I mean, are you? Concerned? Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, now you look back on it. You know, there were there were cops sitting outside my house, and I told my wife, I said, "Hey, you know, I see these people sitting out there, and we're watching them." And, and you know, later on when I'm arrested, I realized from the investigative reports it was the cops. Right. Um, of course, drug drug addicts are leaving the houses. They're getting pulled over. They're busting houses, man. They bust. No sooner they bust a house, we put another house up, right? So we're not seeing the bigger picture that like, yo, they're building, you know, a federal case. They're building a conspiracy, but we don't know anything about conspiracy. We just think, oh, they busted the house. This kid's going to go to get five years probation, six months in the county jail. We had a program called Willard. He might get a one to three, get 90 days in the, in the, you know, military boot camp type of thing, and then he'll be home. But the whole time, man, they were building a case against us. How long? So how long did they investigate? You said, what would you say? Was it like 14 months total? I was home for only 14 months. Their investigation was probably about eight months, but it really picked up. It was only like really serious two weeks before they arrested me. They got a wiretap. It only took them two weeks, man. No. Were you just talking on the phone or? Well, I had a guy, right, that I had grew up with, a kid named Donnie. Um, I didn't, he was a little older than us, and we used to look up to him. He had a band, he had, you know, he's playing the drums, and he becomes a drug addict. One day I'm driving in my car, and I see Donnie walking down the street. He flags me down, it's pouring down rain. And I'm like, oh. So I pull over. He's like, Chad, man, help me out, man. Give me a ride, man. He tells me he's going to a hotel. He can't go to his mother's house. No, I know his mom, I know his whole family. He says, look, man, give me a ride to the hotel, dude. I'm going to rehab tomorrow. My mom won't let me in the house. He had just stole her TV. He's explaining that stuff to me. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Horrible. So I'm like, all right, man, I'll give you a ride. And then as we're driving to this hotel, he's like, dude, could you buy me something to eat? I'm like, yeah, man, I'll buy you something to eat. We go to this place called Mark's Restaurant. And I remember this, man, like it was yesterday. We're sitting in Mark's and I see these cars flying by. And I'm like, Donnie, man, how old are you? At the time, I'm probably 22. I think he might be 29. And he tells me, you know, I'm 29. I said, see these cars passing by? I said, that's your life, bro. You know, you used to be that dude when we were younger. Now you're just out here on the corner, dude, you know, pimping a pimping your girl and smoking crack, looking at your clothes. And he's like, look, dude, when I get out of rehab, will you give me a job? And he's talking about for my roofing company. Back then I had a roofing siding company too, right? And I said, yeah, man, give me a call. We're doing a bunch of tear-offs. I end up, he eats, so I drop him off at the hotel, give him my car. Two weeks later, I get a call from Donnie. You know, he leaves the rehab. He's like, yeah, man, I completed. I don't realize it's two weeks. I don't remember any of this shit until I get my paperwork, right? 
And um, he's like, Chad, look, man, the people that I'm staying with right now, he's working for me now. We're doing these terror offs. And you no, know, he's an asset at the time. He's like, look, dude, man, can you help me out? I have nowhere to go. These people where I'm at, I'm really trying to do the right thing. I don't want to get high. They're getting high. I haven't gotten high. Can you let me stay at your house in the basement for, man, two, three weeks so I get on my feet? And I'm like, dude, I don't know if my wife's going to go for that, bro. And he's like, come on, man, please, man. So eventually I'm like, all right, dude, I'm going to let you stay here. You're, you're, you're clean. This is a kid that I looked up to when I was a kid. I liked this kid. He was my boy, man. He was my buddy, right? So I let him stay there. One day he leaves. He meets this chick, Lisa Gambino, right? He's out with this chick, Lisa, and he's hanging out with her. He doesn't show up the next morning for work. My wife calls me at like 10 o'clock. She says, hey, Donnie's here. I said, hey, tell him to come here. Come to the job site. She's like, all right, I'm going to tell him. So she tells him, he says he's coming. He don't show up. I call back like an hour later, like, yo, is the kid there? Did he come back? She's like, he did come back, said he didn't have a ride. He needed some change to catch the bus. So she gave him some change. He still never shows up. I get home later that day and I find out, man, he stole like four ounces of crack out of my house, right? Out of the out of the kitchen cupboard. I used to keep it in the cupboard, bro. So he grabs the four ounces of crack, takes off. He's out on a binge. Eventually, he's all geeked out. He calls the cops and says, look, he's afraid of me. I mean, back then we did some bad things. He calls the cops and says, look, man, I, you know, I robbed Chad. I can help you guys if you want to get him. And at this time, they actually have a little investigation going on me. But this really opens the door. And he says, if you guys give me the money to pay Chad back, I can get him. And that's what they did. They gave him the money. He met me at the mall. He paid me. He's like, oh, man, what happened to the house? I heard the house got busted over there. He's recording all this stuff. And that's how my case get opens up, man. I took a dude off the street to try to help him. And uh, he robs me and then sends me to prison for, you know, I mean, I sent myself to prison, but right. I mean, he opened the door for that. And then I get out of jail, right, Matt? And I'm out about five months. I end up buying a 2018 S5 Audi. And I put, I just, I just bought it. I pull in this gas station and I hear someone say, oh shit, that's Chad Marks. And I look over and I know it's him instantly. He's like, hey, man, you, you know who I am? You remember me? He's like, I'm sorry, man, for what I did, man. And I'm like, yeah, man, I know exactly who you are. He's like, please, man, don't hurt me, man. And I looked at him. I said, dude, that's the same shit you said on that on that recording at the mall. Please don't hurt me, bro. And now you're saying this shit to me again? I said, I know exactly who you are. I said, I'm not going to do nothing to you, man. You, you helped take 18 years of my life, man. I said, and look at you, man. You weigh about 100 pounds. You're dirty. You're dingy. Still on the street. Still doing the same thing over and over again. And his girl's in the in the passenger seat, no teeth, and she's probably a prostitute. And I just look at him like, look where your life's at. Look where my life's at. And I've only been out five or six months, and I'm doing great. You know, karma's a motherfucker, bro. And I said, I'm not going to hurt you. And I just let it go, man. I, I walked away, man. And it was probably one of the hardest things I ever did in my life, man. I, you know, I've been a revengeful person. Um, at times, I wasn't always a nice guy. I was a violent person in prison for maybe the first six or seven years in prison, because you have to be. I'm in Big Sandy. I'm in USP Pollock. Mm -hmm. I'm in USP Lee. I'm in dangerous places. But I turned my life around. And that was a turning point for me, for me to see this dude. And man, I'm not going to lie to you, dude. It took everything for me to walk away and not put my hands on this cat, man. And I wanted to. You know, because um, I mean, I, we, we've talked a little bit and I told you, you don't, you know, you just don't like, I don't see you you know, since we've, when we've talked, like, I don't, I don't see you, the character that I guess you were, the person you were, I don't see you like that. But 
I mean, but obviously, you know, obviously, you know, there's things that I did clearly that I, I certainly, you know, people, you know, my girlfriend can't believe some of the stories that I say. She's like, you, act, you just would never do that. Yeah. But, you know, but obviously things change. It, it's funny because when I first got locked up, man, I fought, hated everybody. You know, this everybody had rolled over on me. Everybody had done me wrong. I shouldn't be here. I didn't deserve this. And you know, but th after going through, you know, prison, when I got out, I contacted pretty much, I pretty much think I contacted every single person in my case while I was in the halfway house and apologized to him. I apologized to this chick, Allison, who, um, who cooperated with the government against me, apologized to this chick, Amanda, apologized to my buddy, Travis, who I grew up with. We were best friends. He, he worked with the task force that busted me told him I was sorry for putting him in that position that I know he did. He did the right thing. He had a daughter. He, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I just, I had that whole kind of just totally turned around where it was like, I put same thing. I put myself here. Nobody put me here, you know? No, I hear you. You know, we make them, we make those choices, but you know, some other people sometimes open the door to let it in, you know what oh, I no mean? Doubt. No, no doubt. But you know, I just can't live the rest of my life hating people. That's no good for you. It's no good for anybody. You know, I, I tell people all the time, man, I, you know, I deserve to go to prison, Matt. 100%. I deserve to go to prison. But Me at the age of 24, 40 years? I deserve, yeah, I didn't deserve 40 years, man. You guys didn't know, I also do paintings. And uh, if you're interested in a painting, I'm going to leave my contact information in the description beneath the video. I always say that, too. I always say, no, I, I had it coming. I, I figure... I deserved about getting about a 10 year sentence. And then, you know, then you kind of, you do RDAP. I figured I'd do our, you know, I probably should have done six years in prison, you know, something like that. That would have been a strong deterrent, but yeah, 26 years, giving me 26 years. Like that was insane. Giving you 40 years, you're 24 years old. You're just a baby. The best years of my life gone forever gone. You'll never get them back. man. Well, so what happened? So you're, so you went to prison you bro, you you wrote a book. You you started doing legal work. How long did it take for you to realize you had a had a story worth telling? You know, how long did that take? So, I'm in the hole in 2008, right? My celly gets stabbed in USP Big Sandy. Not 2008, 2000, 2009, I think it was. My celly gets stabbed, right? He gets stabbed by the Aryan Brotherhood of Texas and the Aryan Brotherhood. Um. They think he's someone else, that he's he's not the person they think he is. They think he's a dude that put some other dudes on in Hazleton, like, hey, these dudes are about to, you know, hit your people or whatever. He gave a little message, but he wasn't involved, like, that deep. So they stabbed my celly, like, 30-something times. I'm in the hole. He's in the hole. Um, And I am I pick up this book off the book cart, and it's some dude talking about federal prison. He was in the low or something. And I'm like, man, these books are full of shit, man. Like, they're not telling the real story. We're living in Big Sandy, dude, where people are getting stabbed, people are getting murdered. Um. People are slapping the cops and the cops are like, what I do? And you're just like, wow, a guy gets shot from the gun tower. This, these two dudes are hitting this dude, right? With a padlock. They shoot the guy that's getting hit with the padlock from the gun tower on accident. They shot the wrong guy. And I'm like, man, someone needs to tell this story. What's going on in the penitentiaries? People think that this is camp fed. People are playing tennis. They're eating steak. Right. But this shit right here is serious, man. It's real. And that's when I really started like, man, I'm going to write this book. I knew I was going to be in the hole for a little while, knew I was getting transferred. So I start writing the book in the hole. And eventually I start. I'm sorry. Why, about, why were you in the, why were you in the hole? Your, your, 
your celly got stabbed. No, well, I ended up in, involved in something where a kid named Ace, he ends up, eventually he gets shot from the gun tower. So I talk about all this in my book where I tell the shot caller pretty much like, yo, dude, I'm not with this shit for the East Coast car, right? The New York dudes, the, the Boston dudes. I'm like, man, fuck all this, man. I'm not really with this stuff. And eventually I get in a fight with this kid named Ace. They jump me, Ace and a couple dudes from Boston, kid that I was real close with from Boston, my best friend in there. But it's like this, if you don't go in the penitentiary, with the strong, then you're going to get eaten up alive, right? So Ace kind of felt like, you know what? I'm going to be the shot caller, and you're going to fall in place with us. And we kind of want to know where you're going to be at. What side are you going to be on here? And, you know, I was from New York. He's like, oh, you you know, you you fuck with the blacks real tough. And I had some friends. I was real close with a kid named Vic Lorenzano. He's got 87 years, Puerto Rican kid out of New York. And it's really racially segregated in maximum security prisons. So dude was in his feelings. Some people looked up to me. I didn't want to be the shot caller, bro. I wanted nothing to do with it. I know what comes with that stuff. I don't, I don't want to be a leader, but I think he felt like I was stepping on his toes to a certain extent. And um, he punches me in the face on the basketball court, split my lip open. We're out there fighting, pulls my long John over me. And I'm like, and he's telling, yelling at his boy, stab this bitch, stab this bitch. I come out of the long John, right? And I see the kid with the knife. And he hesitated, man. And I hit him. And by the, I say, by the grace of God, man, I hit him and he falls down. He drops the knife. Now the sirens are going off. I got the shots. I could send them to you. You can post them. I got, I'll find them. So they take the knife. The kid throws the knife in the drain. The cops are coming. It's total chaos, dude. They're shooting. And in the shot, it says, I don't get down. They keep shooting. I grab this kid. And I'm hitting him. Boom, boom, boom. While they're shooting. They could have killed me, man. Um, And eventually, a year later, Ace is involved in another incident. I end up getting transferred to USP Lee. Ace is involved in another unit. They shoot him from the gun tower in the back. Blow his guts out with an AR-15, dude. The nurse is trying to put his guts back in, and he ends up dying, man. He dies there in 2009. Almost a year to the day that I got an incident with him, I get transferred to USP Lee. So that's why I was in the shoe. While I'm in the shoe, you know, my celly, I got stabbed by the ABTs. I talk about that in the book. And uh, I start beefing with them cats. So now I'm in the hat with the Aryan Brotherhood of Texas because I tell their shot caller, a dude named Dinky, who eventually goes to, gets out, kills somebody in Texas, goes to state prison, gets like 99 years, and then he kills himself. This guy was a real piece of shit, real dirt ball. But um, I end up beefing with them on the door. And I'm like, yo, you guys stabbed my celly. You had the wrong dude. They send me a kite, yo. When your celly comes back, hit him. I'm like, dude, you don't fucking tell me what to do. This, this is my, this is, my celly's my boy from pretrial. We're from the same place, same area. So I sent him back a kite like, yo, man, you're the, you're the heroin brotherhood, bro. You're not the Aryan brother. You're, the, you're a bunch of heroin junkies. Like, fuck you. And I go to the rec yard, and for real, I'm going to do something to him. I'm not going to stab him. But in my mind, I'm going to fuck this dude up. He's only about 150 pounds soaking wet. So when we go out to the rec cages, he pulls a move where he doesn't want to come in the cage with me. I'm going in this cage right here. He makes a scene. And they don't put him in the rec cage. Um, I would have pounded his lights out, bro. But he had a partner named Swift, and I'm going to keep it real. I probably wouldn't have, I might've got fucked up because Swift was a pretty big dude. And, you know, he, he, he was a dangerous dude. He ends up, he ended up becoming a Christian, but, um, you know, he was involved in paralyzing a dude over there. Got another six years for paralyzing the dude. Just a dangerous dude. But, um, that, that was kind of my big Sandy story. So I'm stuck in the hole. I start writing the book. I said, I'm going to tell people what's really going on in these places. And, you know, I, it was on the back burner for a while. And, you know, I had wrote a rough draft then I wrote another rough draft. All in, it's all in my handwriting. And, um, I eventually feel like, yo, I'm about to get out of jail off this compassionate release. I'm like, 
the book is going to be a way for me to make a little money as a stepping stone when I get out of prison, right? So I start buckling down on the book. Boom, I'm doing legal work. I'm, I'm writing the book every night. I get the book done. I get out. I get it typed up, get it edited, and I publish the book, man. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, all right. So when you say you're you're doing legal work, because let, let's face it, not everybody can do their own legal work, right? I mean, it's it's difficult. Not everybody reads. Um, like for instance, I have a hard time reading in general, but reading legal, you know, legalese is it, it's it's an artwork. You know, it's an art. Writing those motions is an art. I mean, writing in general is an art, but writing the motions is. So how long how long was it before you like you started doing? Were you doing other guys twenty two fifty fives? Yeah, I've done. So you know, this is this is kind of how my legal career started. I'm in Coleman, right? And we're locked down, and this kid Kiki that I've you know I was kicking it with him a little bit. He's from Tennessee. He had a bunch of time in. He's got a crack case. He sees me always in the law library. We get locked down. He's like, dude, I need your help. The guy that does the legal work over there, he's writing 3582 motions for 100 bucks in commissary, right? Or cigarettes. He was kind of like a cigarette junkie over there. So we're locked down. No one can do Kiki's reply because this dude's in the other unit. There's no jailhouse lawyers in the unit. He's like, dude, I need your help. And I'm like, dude, I don't know, bro. Like, I didn't have confidence in doing other people's stuff, you know? Yeah. I'm like, dude, I don't know. He's like, please, man, if not, I'm going to get denied. So I'm like, all right, dude. He's like, I'll give you whatever you want. I give him a $30 listing commissary. When we come off lockdown, just get me some soap and deodorant and shampoo. I felt guilty, like, getting food. And so I felt like maybe if I could just get hygiene products, it's all right to do this for a little couple of dollars. And I do it, man. I win. I handwrite it, and we win. So when we win, he starts telling everybody we come off lockdown. Hey, this dude did my stuff, and he won quick. So you, won a, you won a 2255. You no. won the- I want his 3582, just a sentence reduction. Oh, but the government was fighting him on it, right? Still. So we win that. So now this Cuban guy comes to me. He's from Florida. They're doing those um like reverse sting robberies and they're, you know, they're robbing these carjacking these people. I do his 2255 and I win it. It's the first one I've ever done in my life. And I win it. He's like, please help me. I'm like, all right, man, I'm I'll I'll help you. So I win that. He goes back to court, 2255 hearing. He ends up I think he cops out to 11 years or 12 years. They give him a new plea. His lawyer was ineffective during the plea negotiation process. So we win that on a Laffler versus Cooper, Missouri versus Fry. That was right around, I think, the time that stuff came out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say that was when they were that was when they were setting people up and getting them to go like rob drug dealers. And then the cops, the DEA would be waiting for them. They jump on them. They catch them with a gun. Reverse sting robbery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four guns. They know what they're doing. They're lining yeah, they, they were setting people up left and right. So then I ended up doing this kid, a Darius Mazio Black's case, and I'm still working on it. Me and the Darius are very close. He's the kid that got caught with, like, a his conspiracy was 100 keys of coke. Angie Martinez was – um, it was she was the musician, and that was his girlfriend. I think he was really close with Nick Cannon, Eminem, a bunch of them people. He ended up getting a face transplant, big, big money, owned four or five Bally's in California. So I ended up doing his case. And once I start doing his case, he opens up the door for me to help other people, like the kid Booby out of Florida. Booby's like a famous dude that Rick Ross and all them rap about. And that's where the, the legal career kind of took off. Um, eventually, I would write the first compassionate release motion in the country to ever win. The first one that was submitted, the first one that wins. I wrote the Conrado Can 2 case out of Texas. Thousands and thousands of people are getting out of prison off of this compassionate release motion now, including myself. That's how I got out. So I ended up writing that. And I'm like, look, dude, I think I'm right. If you want to practice, we'll practice. And, you know, I'm going to tell people, you know, who Conrado Can 2 is. He was a mayor. He was the chief of police down in Texas. And um, he ends up getting caught up in a conspiracy. 
And I end up with that cat in Lexington right when the first step back drops. And I'm like, dude, I'll, you want to give it a shot? I'm practicing. And we do it and we win. I mean, people have made it better since then, but that was the first case to ever win. I also wrote the first article about how people can get out on compassionate release. It was published in the Prisoner's Legal News. I was a staff writer for Criminal Legal News and Prison Legal News while in prison and when I got out. So that's where my legal career kind of started and, and where it's at now. I own a paralegal and prison consultant firm. And you were, so you were, you're also friends with, um, what's the guy we talked about him? He, he's a, he was on a 2020 or was it 60 Minutes? Sean Hopwood. Yeah, the he was a bank robber, right? Bank robber. Phenomenal dude, man. One of the most intelligent dudes I've ever come across. He was in federal prison, became a lawyer, became a law professor at Georgetown. Um, I think he was instrumental in a lot of the stuff on the First Step Act. Um, he's one. He, he was the only per, only jailhouse lawyer, I think, to win three, two or three writ of certs in front of the Supreme Court as a jailhouse lawyer. Right. You know, lawyers go their whole careers praying and wishing that they could win a case in the Supreme he Court. He did it from he inside kept, the prison, right? He kept doing it from inside the prison. One of the most intelligent people I've ever come across. So I have a, a question. I think we kind of skimmed skimmed over it. I wanted to know. Um, did you, you didn't go to trial, right? You took a plea. No, I went to trial. I went okay, to trial. I was going to say, what's the, what, yeah, what's the, um, cause if you're getting 40 years. No, like, I went to trial. I was convicted. Um, my PSI came back life plus 30 years. My mandatory minimum was 40. And the judge said, I'm going to act in a moment of compassion here. And I'm going to give you the mandatory minimum for the sake of your mother. And he sentenced me to the mandatory minimum. He gave, you know, he gave me an outdate. It was 40 years, but he gave me an outdate. And then eventually he grants me, eventually he grants me um, compassionate release, right? And then since I've been out, man, he even wrote me a letter. Nice. And said, "Look, man, you know I, I, you know I took a chance with you. Don't let me down." He said, "You promised me in the letters that you wrote me that you would not let me down." And you know I, I'm I'm trying to fulfill that, man. I don't yeah, want to let him down. I was gonna say, you know, it it sounds like, you know, it sounds like, you know. 40 years isn't, you know, uh, uh, giving you a chance. But the truth is, you know, he doesn't have a choice. Like he couldn't go lower than that, right? Or, or do you feel he no. could have? No, he couldn't go any lower than that. That was my mandatory minimum. There was no going any lower than that. And at the time, I mean, in my sentencing transcripts, it's in the beginning of my book. And he says, hey, if this isn't sufficient and greater than, you know, if this punishment isn't sufficient enough, then I don't know what is. But, you know, there were things in this case where I think 40 years is sufficient. And I'm like, damn, man. Um, it wasn't, a, it, it, you know, it was a nonviolent conviction, but there was violence in the case, man. There there were things done in the case, not, you know, specifically by me, but by some of the co-defendants. And it, it was a bad case, man. Some people did some bad things in this case. Yeah. I mean, I know how they make you sound in front. It, it Look, even if it's not a bad case, when you get in front of the judge, they, the, prosecutors make you just sound like they make you sound like Scarface. You know, I mean, you know, I, I, every time I've read somebody's sentencing transcripts, it's like, Jesus, like this guy, they made you sound horrible. Um, yeah. Me, they start talking about machine guns and things. It's like, I've never had a machine gun. Like they found like a receipt for a yeah. gun that I didn't have. They found, you know, there was all kinds of ridiculous stuff that I was like, but you know, they say it and your lawyer, my lawyer was just like, shh, shh, don't I'm like, well, that's not true. That's not true. And she doesn't want to say she's like, just just stop. Just just it's almost over for her. Yeah. So crazy. So you got out how long ago? Two years? Is it two years? I've been out about 20. I think I'm going on 27 months now, man. 
Uh, oh no, it's 26 months. You know what? It was 26 months yesterday. I think that's something. You're already married. You have a, two what, little twins? boys. I, I I was married when I went to prison. I got remarried to my ex-wife. Um, I got two little twin boys. They were they're seven months old. And well, you know, honestly, awful. dude, in the beginning, man, when all that stuff was going on, I thought that's what I wanted. Then I was like, damn, man. You know, it was overwhelming. I'm like, this probably ain't. I'm not prepared for this, dude. I was scared, man, for real. And now that I do have them, dude, it's like, wow, man, I'm I'm a dad, you know, and I have to be responsible. I have to take care of these two little dudes, man. That's them right there. So I'm like, and, and you know what, man? It's, it's the it brings me more joy than than anything that I could ever imagine. And sometimes, like I did my book in audio too, right? And I did the last couple chapters where the other night and and I was listening to it, dude, and I had to leave my living room and walk downstairs to come into this room. And and I got a little emotional, bro. We're like, damn, man, I was supposed to maybe die in prison or get out when I'm 63 or 64 years old. And then I just reflected on everything. Like, look where my life is now and what it was supposed to be. I was supposed to stay in prison. I, you know, I, I guess you could say I beat the odds to a certain extent, but my story's still going. I'm still in the driver's seat. So, yeah. but it's a blessing, man, not to be in prison for 40 years, bro. Yeah, listen, every time somebody cuts me off and I'm driving or some little stressful thing and I get for, I get a little spike of anger, I think, whoa, 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 you're supposed to be in prison right now. Yeah. You go ahead and you go ahead and pull in that lane. You go ahead and do that. You go, you know, try and be thankful for, you know, everything I have because, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be getting out in 2030. Mine was 2038, March. Went in 2003, supposed to get out in 2038 with all my good time, as long as I stayed out of trouble. Mm. Mm. So, so the books on your books on Amazon. What the about the on, audio? We talked about the audio. It's not up yet for Audible. No, um, I've been selling the zip file on auto on Audible on audio, whatever, to people on my YouTube channel. Um, I published the whole thing on on YouTube and different in spurts with, you know, pictures of, you know, whoever I'm talking about going through like a slideshow. Um, you can get the book on Amazon. People can get it directly from me. Go on Amazon and read the first three chapters. That's the book, Blood This Way, Blood on the Razor Wire. Yeah. Um, I promise you won't be disappointed. Well, and you got to you, 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 you a free book, dude, anyway. Yeah, bro, you got to get the, send me the audio because you got to get the audio up because you'll be shocked how much, how well the uh, the audibles do. Okay. Because you know, people people will listen to look, people will watch your 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 YouTube thing is blowing up anyway. You're over like fifty-five thousand uh subscribers in like a year. So people that just hear about you, people will go from my channel there and they'll check you out and they'll see your interview. And your interviews are much more hardcore than my interview. You're a hardcore guy. I'm not. Yeah, I know. So, you know, I mean I, I always said this yesterday. I'm a soft as fucking cotton, bro. Like I'm not not I'm not getting into a knife fight. I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm not going to the pen. Uh, -uh. no, but, but regardless, like your guys will, will, especially audio, if they're already listening to you do your interviews, they're going to want to, they're going to want to listen to your book. So you got to get that thing up on, on, on audible, man. Yeah. You'll be shocked. I had someone that I had hired to do all that stuff and I guess it didn't work out and I haven't heard from them in about a month. So, but you have the files. Yeah. I got the files. I, I mean, I recorded, I got it. So yeah, I'm going to work on getting that done. Um, okay. Well, I mean, look, I, I, yeah, man. I mean, we've talked a few times already off, off, you know, 
yeah off air whatever uh and then i just did my uh my interview with on your channel you did you know so check out you know my interview on uh on chad's channel um blood on the razor wire and um why didn't you call it why didn't you call it uh go with your first name just why didn't you go with chad marks what the book no no you're for your channel your oh i mean because that was that's kind of what my theme was man um i didn't know nothing really about youtube and all of that type of stuff and i'm like man i got this book blood on the razor wire might as well call the youtube channel the same thing um and really man my mission was more of and i've spoke about this before my mission is to save kids from life imprisonment and premature death in the streets but the channel has become more of a channel where dudes that got out of prison it's a reminder like man i don't never want i got a lot of federal dudes on there like i don't want to go back federal chicks um and you know when i got the title i talked about this the other day i was reading that book blood in the water about the attica uprising and i said mm -hmm. man i should name my book blood on the razor wire because all these dudes are leaving their blood here all these people are dying in these places man um they just had another murder at Pollock. just came off a of lockdown um a couple murders in beaumont People were murdered in Big Sandy all the time. USP Lee, I witnessed people get murdered, man. Like from, you know, for me and 10 feet away, I see a guy get killed, get stabbed in the chest, 80 days left to go home. And he decides he's going to tell a guy he's got to go back to protective custody. Dude from California, Lair Dog, pulls out the knife, hits him in the chest one time. Dude jumps back like he's ready to fight. Takes his last breath, falls down. I watched this dude die, bro. Watched another dude die in my unit. He told the dude, stop stabbing me, man. Don't kill me. And the dude said, it's too late for that. They're drinking. They're playing poker. Dude, you know, he's drunk. He's talking shit. He's from Virginia talking shit to a D.C. dude. Pulls up his shirt. He said, I'll put that knife in you. Acts like he had a knife, and he didn't. And the other kid did. And he got up and started, you know, stabbing him. And the crazy thing is, the kid that kills him, man, was really a good dude, man. He, I think he came to prison with like eight years, ended up with an additional 20 for selling someone heroin in prison that overdosed and died. And now he goes from eight years to 20. Now he goes from 20 to life for killing the dude in prison. Yeah. The dude said, man, don't kill me. He said, it's too late for that. And then when he was in the hole, man, he was, he was upset. He was crying about it. I was, was in the hole at the same time as him at USP Lee. And it was just like, damn, bro. Yeah, the dude was a, was a nice dude, man. You hear that a lot. Guys will come over five years and they'll get another 10 years for fucking doing something, something stupid over, over nothing, over pride. Over just somebody hurt their pride or somebody disrespected them or somebody, you know, it's just, and it's just, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm glad. Like I told you this, like I was in the medium for three years, went to the low, didn't really want to go to the low yeah, because, you know, it's an open bay you know, I had a cell there, you know what I'm saying? Like I had, you know, um, it was a tougher environment, but the truth is when I got to the low, it was, it was a better environment for me. Yeah. I got, first of all, I got a slick mouth. I'm already having an issue. I'm I'm not even realizing I'm saying stupid shit. Guys are coming over to me saying, "Hey, bro," you know, and I'm like, "Oh, I didn't even realize." Listen, I was slamming my door, my cell door, when I walked out. I had a guy come <laughs> over to me. I didn't even realize I was doing it. I didn't think it was a big Look, deal. I'm trying to nap. I'm trying to take a nap, bro. <laughs> oh yeah, he's ready to kill me. He came, he started the conversation with, "Listen, man, I've been taking anger management classes," and I my first thought was. No good conversation has ever started with I've been taking anger management class. I thought <laughs> this is going to go bad. And he was like, you slamming your door for like a week now. And I, I didn't even know who the guy was. Yeah. And then he was like, look, I don't want to do nothing. I don't want this to become an issue. And I'm starting to realize I'm going to get myself hurt for slamming a fucking door. 
Like just something stupid. But the it's doors are so heavy. Things, man. You know, I know guys that got stabbed because they they didn't they they a guy Selly who'd been Selly's with them for years. They're walking by each other, and his Selly went like this to him, and he didn't see it, so he just kept walking. Guy fucking stabbed him that night. It's just people have mental conditions, you know. It's, it, <laughs> it happens. That's so, that's the wild world of prison. Yeah. So, um, listen, man, I I appreciate you doing the interview. I don't know if you have anything else you want to say. Just, you know, hey, I want people, you know, if, if you want, check out the book on Amazon. You get the first three chapters for free. I promise you won't be disappointed. If you want to check out the YouTube channel, we got a pretty good channel, man. Um, I do have some hardcore people. I've interviewed former federal judges. I've, I've interviewed DEA agents, cops, correctional officers, other prisoners. I interviewed Troy Kell. Some of your viewers might know who he is. He was probably the reason why this whole prison genre started. Um, with people talking about prison and, you, you know, YouTube eventually in 2000, um, it was in 2001, maybe HBO did the documentary gladiator days on right. this dude. And that kind of like, people were like, wow, that's, you know, some people have a fascination with prison and I don't want to be that interviewed before. I don't think he's been interviewed before. Right. Aren't you one of the only people to interview him? Yeah. He, um, the last time he ever did anything was with HBO. So it's a, you know, pretty good interview. And that was 20 years ago. He's like, no, they did me wrong. I'm not interviewing with no one. And eventually I, I do interview him. Uh, but I like to say it's not just a prison YouTube channel. That's how it started. But I think it's more of a life experience channel. And, you know, it is violent, just like the book is violent. But, you know, we opened the door with that. But I try to give a message in every video, man, a message of positivity and, you know, getting your life right, doing the right thing. And, you know, we open that door and say, look, this is this is the road. You can go this way and have this or you can go this way. And, you know, you're the driver. You know, you're the author of your own story, man. So check us out. Blood on the Razor Wire TV. All right. Well, I appreciate it. And, um, hey, you guys, I appreciate you watching this far. Uh, do me a favor. If you like the video, um, hit the like button. Hit the bell to get notified of videos like this. Uh, leave a comment in the comment section. And uh, I appreciate you watching. And check out... Uh, Blood on the razor wire. See you. I appreciate you too. All right. Thank you.